0: Welcome, men. We're glad you're here this morning. You know, as the summertime kind of gets started, it seems like our numbers have gone down. we got to get busy on reminding men where they're supposed to be on Tuesday mornings because uh, we put these messages together. Excited to teach these messages. Welcome to those of you who are with us online this morning. Uh, if you're near Amarillo, you need to be here. All right, let's uh, I know it's easy to watch this in your underwear at home. Aaron Paul. But, uh, don't do that. All right. I didn't mean to call you out this morning. Let's keep going. Uh, you're long, long enough away. You, you don't have to be here. You know, over the, the past, uh, few months, been praying over brave hearts and just kind of some things we've had opportunity to serve together this past week and had a great time with, with most of you in Estes Park or a lot of you at Estes Park. And, uh, it's just been, been great. But something that's been on my heart is how do you make, how, how do you sustain momentum? So last week we talked about the difference between effective, effect, the difference between being effective, effectiveness is what I'm trying to say, but it's early this morning, right? And efficiency and the difference between being effective and being efficient and how they both can kind of intertwine, and we we shared the Mary Martha story and kind of went through that. Today, I'm going to build on that. Today, I'm going to talk about having resolve, because really, the way you sustain momentum in your life, in your job, in your passion, with your passion, is having a resolve that you're never going to quit. You know, I love this. Like I said, I love this type of time of year to to watch uh the the relays and and the different things that people post on Facebook because track season just ended up and I like to watch track and I always time time them when I'm watching them to see how fast they run the hurdles or to see how fast they run the hundred or whatever it may be. Uh, but it's that resolve. You find out what's in a person when you watch them run a quarter mile. You know you'd you'd hate to see what's in me if I ran a quarter mile, I'm gonna tell you right now. But back in the day, right? Back in the day. So what is it when people have Resolve. I, I I've taught a little bit of this. As a matter of fact, I read this story to my kids and to Allison last night. She said you shared that story before. Don't share that story again. I said I love this. You know, I just finished reading about um the raccoon ruffs in in a historical book. And if you know anything about the raccoon ruffs, the raccoon ruffs were a Confederate uh, bunch that they were kind of thrown together. Um, they were rough, rough kind of people that were mountainous people that uh, a man by the name of uh John B Gordon kind of formed them he was actually a law student dropped out of out of law school to uh to form this unit this cavalry unit and they came down to help the confederacy unfortunately they were beat but yet there was something about John Gordon that was different there was something about uh uh well, we'll get into that here in just a minute, but there was just something about the resolve that men had in their day and time. If they thought they were right, if they thought they were on the right side of things, they, they really just just went for everything and they stayed connected. Remember, the promise goes to those who persevere. Throughout Scripture, those who persevere, it means they don't just start something, they persevere through it until they 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 get where they're supposed to be in this life and the life to come. John B. Gordon, uh, like I said, uh, he formed these raccoon ruffs, and I want to share his story because you talk about somebody who was resolved, and he was more resolved for his men than he was for his own life, which is going to become very important to us today. I'm also going to tag on Sunday's message just a little bit. So if you guys listened to Sunday message, if you were here on Sunday's message, we talked about worship, the importance of worship. I wasn't able to get my last point in there, so I threw it in this one. And we're going to extend that next week. So we've got kind of a two-part series here that's starting today. But let me talk about his resolve on September 17th, 1862, while positioned in the middle of of uh, Robert E. Lee's line in the Battle of Sharpsburg, Gordon demonstrated incredible bravery and superior leadership. The first horrific volley from the advancing soldiers sent a mini ball through Gordon's right calf while they were all around him. Chaos was reigning. On the right and on the left, he said, my men were falling and dealing in crossfire like trees in a hurricane, just falling to my right and falling to my left. Higher up in the same leg, I was again shot. I was able to walk along the line and give encouragement to my resolute fi- riflemen. Later in the day, the third ball pierced my left arm. Now, y'all know what a miniball is? Everybody know what a miniball is? Anyway, they still find these. Well, it's, it's, it takes a chunk of flesh out when it hits. Let me just say that. Even though his men pleaded with him to go to the rear, Gordon said, "'I could not consent to leave them in such a crisis.'" A fourth ball ripped through my shoulder. The shocks and loss of blood had left but little of my normal strength. While attempting to encourage a wavering line, I was shot down by a fifth ball, which struck me squarely in the face, and I passed out. Gordon was later carried to the rear and was revived later that night. Now, here's a fascinating fact. At one point, Gordon fell unconscious into his cap and he would have drowned in his own blood had it not been for a hole that was shot through his cap earlier in that day. Now, somewhere there had to be some resolve in this man. Somewhere this guy said, Uh, I, I'm just willing to go to bat for the mission, the mission at hand. Now, like I said, he was Confederate and and I praise God that uh the Confederates didn't win. That that was a justifiable war. We're going to talk about Abraham Lincoln. Most importantly, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ here in just a moment. But here's the, here's the truth about a man like that. He had incredible resolve. What causes some men to be able to lead regardless of the circumstances around them? If you ever wondered about that? I mean, what creates great leaders to have such a resolve? Well, I want you to hear me, men. Those two things go together. Uh, great leadership and great resolve will never be separated. You can't. You cannot separate those two things. Resolve and leadership go together. I am resolved. I am determined. I have a will. I will not back up. I will stand firm. This is who I am. Those two will always be found together. You will never find a great leader without the term resolved attached to him in his leadership. So when everything is falling out, some men stand out We all want to be the one who is not looking to run away, but looking to run into, the one to make a difference, to be a possible, incredible leader, changing the destination for eternity. But the truth is, most of us have our fear factor kick in. Let's just be honest. When we wet our pants, when the bullets begin to fly, our self-conscious along with our self-preservation begins to take over. Instead of hearing charge, we hear the words run. Right? And look, it's not just in war. Our culture is so politically correct today. Many of us are afraid to take a stand for anything. We would rather be passive than to be persuasive. Look at the elections. A good year for voting is usually about 60% in a presidential year. Why won't people stand up for what is right? Let me ask you a question this morning, men. Is there anything that you are immovable in? You just got to ask yourself, is there, is there something, is there anywhere that I can be immoved, immovable in? Is there, is there a way that that I can take a stand? Is there something I'm willing to take a stand for and not be pushed around? Abraham Lincoln stated, be sure you put your feet in the right places and then stand firm. And when you think about Abraham Lincoln or you think about George Washington or you think about Jesus Christ, Here's, here's the truth. These men knew who they were, and they were immovable in some things. Anytime you take a stand for something, that means there must be opposition. Y'all get that? I, I know this. It, 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 if there, <laughs> there's no use in standing if there is no opposition. Life just goes the way it's supposed to go. That's the way a lot of people feel. That's just a very passive life. But the truth is, when you take a stand, you've got to realize I'm taking a stand. That means I'm standing up. That means I'm standing firm. That means there's going to be some opposition. You know, many of your parents could have made could have been difference make- makers, but they weren't. That's right. Man, I'm going to talk about your mama for just a moment. All right? Don't get offended. 1963, no Bibles in school. One lady took a stand. Her name was Madeline O'Hare. 1964, no prayer in schools. 1973, abortion. 1980, the Ten Commandments were outlawed uh, in public buildings. It's amazing to me. Uh, I've had those dates memorized for years because I was like, why didn't someone just say no? Enough's enough. See, I think, men, sometimes we ring the bell way too early. The main promise for the saints is those who persevere. My point is this. Somewhere we lost our resolve. We live in a time where the squeak wheel not only gets the grease, but many feel that the squeaky wheel, because it squeaks, is right. Uh, about three or four months ago, I had a tractor on the back of a trailer, and I was headed out to the farm, and it's doing some cleaning out there. And uh, I turned the corner out of my drive, and I heard a wheel back there going, ar, ar, and I was like, ah, it'll be all right. And I get out on I-27, rock- rocking on about 75 about 8,500 pounds on the trailer. And uh I, I go to exit and I notice back there, the wheels doing this. And I'm like, that's a problem. And then I limped it to the barn on the farm. And fortunately, I got it in there. The truth is the squeaky wheel was the problem. It's not the solution. All right. And now it's almost as if we have to be this squeaky wheel. Now I've not shared much scripture, if any, this morning yet, but stay with me. All of us need a rite of passage to grow up in our faith, to know that we live in troubling times. All of us need to know that we are called to stand and to stand firm as men of God. First Corinthians 3.1 and I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? So here the apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's talking to the men. He's saying, men, listen, you guys should be much further down the road than you are in your faith. Now I'm not after you guys. Y'all are here this morning, but you out there on the camera better listen up. Let me just say this. God's calling us all to grow up. He's calling us all to be men, men of God, men of faith, men of stature. If you are a man, if you are a man, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a great revelation this morning. You are a leader. That's what God designed you to be. You can read it in Ephesians chapter 5. You can read it in Genesis chapter 2. It doesn't matter from the beginning to the end, even in Revelation. If you are a man, you are called to lead. You are called to lead. You may be a quiet leader. You may be a strong leader. You may be a vocal leader. You may be a prayer warrior. You may. But I'm telling you that God has created us men to lead. And and it's a great thing to have that responsibility. Now, leadership does not mean dominion in that kind of way. Leadership means a man who is willing to stand and is resolved for things in his life. That's going to bring us to a point here in just a moment. There's a book out there. My son and I read it together years ago. It's called Fearless. It was by Eric Blim and Eric Blem was a, a Navy SEAL, and this is what he said. He said, the ones who became SEALs weren't the great athletes, not the jocks who played college ball, not the fastest and not the meanest. It was the ones who were willing to help each other achieve the task at hand. And men, that's what we do. We accomplish the mission together. That's how we get there. So where we are weak, there's another man that's strong. In in whatever it may be, where we need to overcome, there's one who has already overcome those temptations, those weaknesses in our life, and we need to attach ourselves to those men in order to be overcomers as well. Now, in the same token, no man should stand in the way of Jesus. Or let me say it this way, no man should should stand in the place of Jesus, but a man who is an overcomer that stands with Jesus and stands in the shadow of Jesus, is a powerful, strong man. And he is a man who is immovable. I think about David. David is, as most of you know, uh, who he was in Old Testament Scripture. And we know that this eternal throne was, was set up upon David. But it's amazing to me because when David became resolved, he became resolved as a young man, which meant that he was a very powerful old man. And by the time he was an old man and he passes away some thousand years later in the book of Acts, Theophilus penned these words that, that David was a man after God's own heart, that he was resolved to bring God's kingdom here upon this earth. That's who we're called to be, to be men of God who bring his kingdom upon this earth and were resolved to do so. So how do we become these fearless, mature, faithful, willing to plant our feet and become a movable type of men? I'm glad you asked. You ready? First point, the mission must become bigger than ourselves. The mission must become bigger than ourselves. You see, uh, we're, we're created in some ways to be builders. Here's how I know that, because God is a builder. And the scripture says it this way, God builds with sons. So if God builds with sun and God is a builder, it means that we have have an innate sense within us from the time we're born to be builders. Some of y'all like to play with Legos. I called you weird when you were kids. All right? But that's okay. Just stay with me. You either had Legos or you had an erector set or you had something that you enjoyed building. I like to build models and I carried that on in, into my adult years where uh, I was building airplanes and putting motors in airplanes and flying these airplanes. And Wade and I had a great time years ago uh, doing all of those those types of things, right? Because in us, we're called to be builders. Now in that, we are called though first to build God's kingdom. So so this, this building aspect that's in us, men know something, God put it in there and he wants you to be builders and he wants you to be successful in life. And if you listen to my message, if you're a businessman, listen to my message last week at Bravehearts. It'll do nothing but encourage you to build and grow. And I mean, John Wesley said, make as much as you can so you can give as much as you can. You know, use every one of your gifts to the greatest uh, ability that you have. All of that stuff's in here because God wants us to be builders. And yet, first and foremost, we must be resolved to build his kingdom first. This is, this is what we got to do. We got to keep the mission in front of us. And the mission must become bigger than ourselves. It must be. When you think of the apostles, most of the apostles lost their lives serving Christ in horrific ways. I mean, uh, you know, the book of martyrs uh, that's out there, uh, just just read that. You'll find not just from the apostles all the way through. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs if you want to read a good book. It's, don't get the original one. Get the new revised because the old one's a little hard to read. But the new revised, read about these guys. Why would they give their life for Jesus in the ways that they did? How could you lay there and be strung out and pulled apart and never renounce your Jesus as Lord? It's because they had a resolve. It's because the mission was greater than themselves. And so do, as, as the apostle Paul said, do what you want with this body. I mean, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So I'm here for his mission because I have a resolve. The mission must become bigger than ourselves. Those are kingdom-minded people. This is why Jesus set a mission before us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. going to all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus gives that last little promise there for those who would become martyrs. Hey, it looks like you're by yourself. Hey, it looks like you're losing this war. Hey, it looks like. Um. um, this is going to be painful for the time. But just remember, I am always with you. You are never alone. That is my promise for you. And you know, if Jesus is with us, then that means the God of the universe is with us. So that's where the apostle Paul said, do with it as you want. As long as I'm following Christ and I'm in his will, then I'm where I'm supposed to be. Kingdom-minded people are not reactive, they're proactive. James tells, James tells us the testing of our faith produces endurance. Now, men, this is a very important part of this message. Because when James tells us the testing of our faith produces endurance, most people know if you live long enough, your faith is going to be tested. <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's any young men. There's some young men in here this morning. My son being one of them, right? But has your faith ever been tested? If it hasn't, let me put it to you this way. Go out and test it. You can do it that way too. The testing of our faith produces endurance. Look, you jump out and you test yourself. Are you willing to go anywhere? Follow God and his mission at any time. If you're on the fence, then just go out and test your faith. My faith has been strongest when I tested it, when I jumped out there, when I decided to go on a mission, to speak up, to stand up for what is right, and I'm not afraid to oppose those things that are wrong. Sometimes we need to test our faith. Sometimes we need to speak up, we need to stand up, we need to be who God called us to be in that moment where we know if I were just passive, then then I'll get through this moment and everything's gonna be just fine. But you know, uh Years ago when I was in in uh, North Carolina we uh, I was sitting by a man in class and all oh, this teacher's up there teaching and got into some nonsense and we were in a divinity school so he raises his hand and uh, he he says a few words and the teacher gets angry with him and they go back and forth and uh, he's quoting scriptures she's quote quoting an agenda and um, it was interesting to hear the agenda versus the scripture but he stood firm. He stood firm. And when it was over, she got angry and left. The teacher just walked out of the class and uh, took her girlfriend with her. They, They both walked out. So there was a definite agenda that was taking place, right? And he was just using scripture. Now, the interesting thing about this was about four people in the class stood up and one of them just started yelling at him and just letting him have it and this and that. And he's sitting right next to me, right? And when it was all when all the dust settled and everything everything kind of ended and it quietened down, where he could he could at least speak towards it. This is what he said. He said, "Look, my job is just to present the truth, the truth of the gospel. Your arguments not with me. Your arguments with the Bible. It's with the Word of God. It's that's 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 your argument. It's it doesn't have anything to do with me outside of this." But he said, "If I didn't stand up, then I would deny my own call in my own life." Now, that's pretty powerful, and it pretty much hushed everybody up, and they sat back down, right? So, here's the truth. Don't be afraid or fearful to stand up, because those who stand up, they do stand out, but they make a difference. You are a man, and you are called to lead. Second, like I said, don't worry. It's not going to get too long, (laughs) but my second point here is character, godliness. Now, I want to talk about godly character for just a moment because when I spoke this week on Sunday morning's message, I didn't get to this point. I I had to take all of this out and I thought, well, I'll just save it for the minute, brave hearts. All right. Godliness, god godly character is found in Corinthians, is found all throughout scripture. What is godliness? Well, we are called To be men of character and not just men of character. I love men of character, right? But men of godly character take character one step further. Godly character is that, is that man who is willing to return an angry word for a kind word. The, the Proverbs man, the one who is able to hold his emotions and speak truth, even though he's angry. He's, he's a man who makes a difference. He's a man who prays before he speaks. He's a man who listens to understand and not just listen to reply. Right? I wish that I were that man many times in my life. Sometimes I'm like, "You're so wrong. I can't wait to wait to prove you wrong because I'm just waiting on you to hush long enough so I can reply." And that's not listening to understand. That's just listening to reply. And in honesty, people when they know they're valued in your in your eyes. Because everybody, by the way, is created in the image of God. So we should listen and listen to understand and then reply. And when we listen to understand, we want to reply the way God would have us reply, not the way we would have ourselves reply. We need to learn to be assets to God's kingdom and not liabilities. So godliness, godliness. Now, men, you've not heard me teach on this before. All right. This is, I've talked a, a little bit about godly character, but not in this way. This is all new now. I'm about to unpack some stuff here. Godly character. We need to be careful where we get the definition or how we define this. Webster's dictionary defines godliness as careful observance of or conformity to the laws of God, the state or quality of being godly, piety, The Vine defines it this way, piety which characterized by a Godward attitude and does that which is well-pleasing to him. The International Study Bible says it this way, it is the character and conduct determined by the principle of love or fear of God in the heart. That's the best understanding of godly character that I could, or the best definition of godly character that I could come up with or find. All right. Listen to this again. Character and conduct determined by the principle of love or fear of God in the heart. Where is it located? It's in the heart because the heart contains your deepest belief. The heart contains your deepest resolve, men. So what you are immovable in is not just contained in the mind It's not just contained uh, in our thoughts. It's not just contained in what we do. It's actually contained in our heart, in that deepest sense of us. This is why I believe the scripture tells us to guard our heart, right? For in it lies the wellspring of life. We have to guard those things in our life. Now, this word godliness, watch this. In the Greek, it's known as eusebia. And I hope I say that right. Those of you who are scholars this morning, uh, correct me. It's E-U-S-E-B-I-A. That's the Greek term for it. Now, when you break that Greek out, literally, this is what it means. Uh, E-U stands for right, and Sebia stands for worship. So godliness means this, the right worship. So godly character means that my character, how I act, what I'm resolved in is a form of worship. So Sunday, I didn't have the opportunity to really unpack this, and I really wanted to because we tend to think worship is Sunday mornings with our hands up in the air, and that is, that's that's communal worship. It's good for the community. It's good for us to come together. One-mind, like-minded soldiers going to win a battle for Jesus. That's great. It's, it's, it's keeping him on his throne. But Eusebia, Eusebia, however you say that Greek term, actually means an act of worship or worship well through godly character. Godliness, the Greek word for godliness is Eusebia, however you say it, Eusebia. E-U-S-E-B-I-A. All right. And what that means is one who worships well in their character. Now that's incredible. That means that that's why we're told to worship at all times. It's why we are vessels of worship. That's why we do worship at all times. It just depends on who we worship at all times. But we're constantly worshiping. This word is used 15 times in the New Testament. And Paul mentions it 10 of the fifteen. That's what godliness is. As we live our lives from the inside out, our character brings worship to our heavenly Father. It is condition of our heart. It is right worship. And so that's why godly character, that's why having a resolve in who you are and what you stand for for and standing firm in who you are is so important. It's so important to God's kingdom, man. That this is what we do. This is who we are. Character is like a tree and reputation is like its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. Abraham Lincoln said those words. So men, as we look at being resolved over the next week or two, uh, I'm going to bring some other things and unpack some, some more truths about worship and how to become the men of God that we're called to be and to become. But the first thing I want us to hear is we must be a man and men who are resolved for the kingdom of God in our life to happen in the time that he's given us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, thank you, Lord, for these men. I thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. Father, I pray that we will be the men of Eusebia. Father, those who worship well, those who have godly character, those who are immovable in our faith. Father, those who are strong, those who stand firm, those who have our feet in the right places, Lord, help us to accomplish the mission together. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to have you with us this morning, man.